Reason Governs the World. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Introduction to The Philosophy of History by Georg Wilhelm Friedrich Hegel. Section 3 Philosophical History, Part 1 Reason Governs the World. I will only mention two phases and points of view that concern the generally diffused conviction that reason has ruled and is still ruling in the world, and consequently in the world's history, because they give us at the same time an opportunity for more closely investigating the question that presents the greatest difficulty, and for indicating a branch of the subject which will have to be enlarged on in the sequel. One of these points is that passage in history which informs us that the Greek Anaxagoras was the first to enunciate the doctrine that nous, understanding generally, or reason, governs the world. It is not intelligence as self-conscious reason, not a spirit as such, that is meant, and we must clearly distinguish these from each other. The movement of the solar system takes place according to unchangeable laws. These laws are reason implicit in the phenomena in question. But neither the sun nor the planets which revolve around it according to these laws can be said to have any consciousness of them. A thought of this kind, that nature is an embodiment of reason that it is unchangeably subordinate to universal laws, appears nowise striking or strange to us. We are accustomed to such conceptions, and find nothing extraordinary in them. And I have mentioned this extraordinary occurrence partly to show how history teaches that ideas of this kind, which may seem trivial to us, have not always been in the world, that, on the contrary, such a thought makes an epoch in the annals of human intelligence. Aristotle says of Anaxagoras, as the originator of the thought in question, that he appeared as a sober man among the drunken. Socrates adopted the doctrine from Anaxagoras, and it forthwith became the ruling idea in philosophy, except in the school of Epicurus, who ascribed all events to chance. I was delighted with the sentiment, Plato makes Socrates say, and hoped I had found a teacher who would show me nature in harmony with reason, who would demonstrate in each particular phenomenon its specific aim and, in the whole, the grand object of the universe. I would not have surrendered this hope for a great deal. But how very much was I disappointed when, having zealously applied myself to the writings of Anaxagoras, I found that he adduces only external causes, such as atmosphere, ether, water, and the like. It is evident that the defect which Socrates complains of respecting Anaxagoras's doctrine does not concern the principle itself, 
but the shortcoming of the propounder in applying it to nature in the concrete. Nature is not deduced from that principle. The latter remains in fact a mere abstraction inasmuch as the former is not comprehended and exhibited as a development of it. An organization produced by and from reason. I wish, at the very outset, to call your attention to the important difference between a conception, a principle, a truth, limited to an abstract form, and its determinate application and concrete development. This distinction affects the whole fabric of philosophy, and among other bearings of it there is one to which we shall have to revert at the close of our view of universal history in investigating the aspect of political affairs in the most recent period. We have next to notice the rise of this idea, that reason directs the world, in connection with a further application of it well known to us, in the form, namely, of the religious truth, that the world is not abandoned to chance and external contingent causes, but that a providence controls it. I stated above that I would not make a demand on your faith in regard to the principle announced. Yet, I might appeal to your belief in it in this religious aspect if, as a general rule, the nature of philosophical science allowed it to attach authority to presuppositions. To put it in another shape, this appeal is forbidden because the science of which we have to treat proposes itself to furnish the proof, not indeed of the abstract truth of the doctrine, but of its correctness as compared with facts. The truth, then, that a providence, that of God, presides over the events of the world, consorts with the proposition in question. For divine providence is wisdom endowed with an infinite power which realizes its aim, namely, the absolute rational design of the world. Reason is thought conditioning itself with perfect freedom. But a difference, rather a contradiction, will manifest itself between this belief and our principle, just as was the case in reference to the demand made by Socrates in the case of Anaxagoras's dictum. For that belief is similarly indefinite. It is what is called a belief in a general providence, and is not followed out into definite application, or displayed in its bearing on the grand total, the entire course of human history. But to explain history is to depict the passions of mankind, the genius, the active powers that play their part on the grand stage, and the providentially determined process which these exhibit constitutes what is generally called the plan of providence. Yet it is this very plan which is supposed to be concealed from our view, which it is deemed presumption even to wish to recognize. The ignorance of Anaxagoras, as to how intelligence reveals itself in actual existence, was ingenuous. Neither in his consciousness nor in that of Greece at large had that thought been further expanded. 
he had not attained the power to apply his general principle to the concrete so as to deduce the latter from the former. It was Socrates who took the first step in comprehending the union of the concrete with the universal. Anaxagoras, then, did not take up a hostile position towards such an application. The common belief in providence does. At least it opposes the use of the principle on the large scale, and denies the possibility of discerning the plan of providence. In isolated cases, this plan is supposed to be manifest. Pious persons are encouraged to recognize, in particular circumstances, something more than mere chance, to acknowledge the guiding hand of God. For example, when help has unexpectedly come to an individual in great perplexity and need, but these instances of providential design are of a limited kind and concern the accomplishment of nothing more than the desires of the individual in question. But in the history of the world, the individuals we have to do with are peoples, totalities that are states. We cannot, therefore, be satisfied with what we may call this peddling view of providence to which the belief alluded to limits itself. Equally unsatisfactory is the merely abstract, undefined belief in a providence, when that belief is not brought to bear upon the details of the process which it conducts. On the contrary, our earnest endeavor must be directed to the recognition of the ways of providence, the means it uses and the historical phenomena in which it manifests itself. And we must show their connection with the general principle above mentioned. But in noticing the recognition of the plan of divine providence generally, I have implicitly touched upon a prominent question of the day, namely, that of the possibility of knowing God, or rather, since public opinion has ceased to allow it to be a matter of question, the doctrine that it is impossible to know God. In direct contravention of what is commanded in Holy Scripture as the highest duty, that we should not merely love but know God, the prevalent dogma involves the denial of what is there said, namely, that it is the Spirit that leads into truth, knows all things, penetrates even into the deep things of the Godhead. While the divine being is thus placed beyond our knowledge and outside the limit of all human things, we have the convenient license of wandering as far as we list in the direction of our own fancies. We are freed from the obligation to refer our knowledge to the divine and true. On the other hand, the vanity and egotism which characterize it find, in this false position, ample justification, and the pious modesty which puts far from it the knowledge of God can well estimate how much furtherance thereby accrues to its own wayward and vain strivings. I have been unwilling to leave out of sight the connection between our thesis, that reason governs and has governed the world, and the question of the possibility of a knowledge of God, chiefly 
that I might not lose the opportunity of mentioning the imputation against philosophy of being shy of noticing religious truths, or of having occasion to be so, in which is insinuated the suspicion that it has anything but a clear conscience in the presence of these truths. So far from this being the case, the fact is that in recent times philosophy has been obliged to defend the domain of religion against the attacks of several theological systems. In the Christian religion, God has revealed himself, that is, he has given us to understand what he is, so that he is no longer a concealed or secret existence. And this possibility of knowing him thus afforded us renders such knowledge a duty. God wishes no narrow-hearted souls or empty heads for his children, but those whose spirit is of itself indeed poor, but rich in the knowledge of him, and who regard this knowledge of God as the only valuable possession. That development of the thinking spirit which has resulted from the revelation of the divine being as its original basis must ultimately advance to the intellectual comprehension of what was presented, in the first instance, to feeling and imagination. The time must eventually come for understanding that rich product of active reason which the history of the world offers to us. It was for a while the fashion to profess admiration for the wisdom of God as displayed in animals, plants, and isolated occurrences. But if it be allowed that providence manifests itself in such objects and forms of existence, why not also in universal history? This is deemed too great a matter to be thus regarded. But divine wisdom, that is, reason, is one and the same in the great as in the little. And we must not imagine God to be too weak to exercise his wisdom on the grand scale. Our intellectual striving aims at realizing the conviction that what was intended by eternal wisdom is actually accomplished in the domain of existent, active spirit, as well as in that of mere nature. Our mode of treating the subject is, in this aspect, a theodicy, a justification of the ways of God, which Leibniz attempted metaphysically in his method, that is, in indefinite abstract categories, so that the ill that is found in the world may be comprehended, and the thinking spirit reconciled with the fact of the existence of evil. Indeed, Nowhere is such a harmonizing view more pressingly demanded than in universal history, and it can be attained only by recognizing the positive existence in which that negative element is a subordinate and vanquished nullity. On the one hand, the ultimate design of the world must be perceived, and, on the other hand, the fact that this design has been actually realized in it and that evil has not been able permanently to assert a competing position. But this conviction involves much more than the mere belief in a superintending noose or in providence. Reason, 
whose sovereignty over the world has been maintained is as indefinite a term as providence, supposing the term to be used by those who are unable to characterize it distinctly, to show wherein it consists, so as to enable us to decide whether a thing is rational or irrational. An adequate definition of reason is the first desideratum, and whatever boast may be made of strict adherence to it in explaining phenomena, without such a definition we can get no farther than mere words. With these observations, we may proceed to the second point of view that has to be considered in this introduction. End Reason Governs the World This recording is in the public domain.